The thing, the other thing, the thing you failed to, to let them know, though, is that they should not go search for Eric Crapton's cover of this. <laughs> oh, God, yes. It's on slow hand. It's, it's, you're going you're gonna to want to actively avoid that. Wait, did you call him Eric Crapton? Because I like that. I <laughs> did, <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where friends and musicians work our way through Robert Dimery's list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So each week, we pick a random album from the list, we listen to it, we analyze it, we deliver some praise, and we heap some scorn and ultimately give you our jackass opinions on whether or not you actually need to hear it before you die. At the end of the episode, we'll all vote and pick next week's album. Now, if you haven't had time to listen to this week's album, don't worry. We're going to go through plenty of clips that we'll drop in along the way, and we'll also have a playlist of all the random crap I'm sure we'll reference throughout the episode. So, gentlemen, in addition to listening to me with a cold this week, hopefully you are listening to Solid Air, an album from 1973 by a gentleman named John Martin. He is a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and grumpy alcoholic that I'm sure we'll all fall in love with throughout the episode. Which came first? The <laughs> we talking like Bukowski, grumpy alcoholic? Like where are we where are we at? Oh man, I we'll find out. We'll find out. Teaser there. Little teaser there. Yeah. Okay. So in line with that, a 1973 review of one of his live concerts. So the reviewer was talking about the opener. All right. So the opener was uh, a woman named Bridget St. John. She was very much a hippie. She was barefoot. She had flowers in her hair. She was a peacenik. She had an acoustic guitar singing quietly. The reviewer said that when it was time for John Martin, the headliner to start, he came hurtling on stage and announcing his presence with an enormous belch saying, right, y'all know I'm a very spiritual person. Got it? <laughs> the, re- <laughs> the reviewer then closes with, Catch John Martin live before he burns himself out. He's at his peak. (laughs) (laughs) What year was this? This is in 1973, the year this album came out. So with all that being said, let's get a breath of solid air, and then we'll come back with some introductions and some quick tweet-length reviews. So here it is, the opening track called Solid Air from John Martin's 1973 album, Solid Air. All right, so there you have it. That was the opening track. Did it really set the tone for the album? Gentlemen, let's work our way around the room. Yeah, this is Alan. And um, 
I've never paused to consider what a jazz rock blues folk bluegrass fusion <laughs> run through an echoplex might sound like, but now I know, and I think I'm better for it. Yeah, nice, nice. That's good. That's good. This is my uh, this is my favorite non English language album since Buena Vista Social Club. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like I really liked it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's just something about, like, you know, when it's not in English, where, like, I can really connect to the story that the melody's telling a little differently. Uh, So, yeah, I liked it. It's like when you watch uh, TV shows that are set in, like, you know, the American South, where they're speaking English, but you still need subtitles. (laughs) It's exactly like that. So this is Adam, and I was first mesmerized with this album. And it may have been because we were coming off of that Drive Like Jehu album, which I listened to, I don't know, 20 times, but I I got a little bit of a cold. I wasn't able to to make that episode. But this was a a 180 from the from the kind of the noise rock of Drive Like Jehu. So I was both uh confused and pleasantly surprised. I actually thought after watching some interviews, Phil, that his singing is much more intelligible than his speaking. He's like, <laughs> he's like Ozzy to the max. Nice. Where, yeah, that's, that's where intense. He, to, it to is. To like to, yeah, yeah. Like more Ozzy than Ozzy. <laughs> wow. So there was a quick clip that I, I want to play for you guys in line with that whole unintelligible thing. So I was able to make out lyrics uh, while the songs were playing, and I, I found a quick clip of an interview that I want to play for you guys as uh, John Martin was in his later years, and you can hear just uh, just how unintelligible he was. I've always written from personal experience. Normally, in my case, it would be two o'clock in the morning drunk on my own with a drum machine and a electric guitar. And I bet it's a greeting. Born to yourself and complaining generally. When you're giving out, that's basically you know, it's just like all poor miserable me. Great <laughs> fun at the time, anyway. I said, very good for you. Cleansing of the soul. Dude, I would legit need subtitles I, in order I to understand like- that. <laughs> That was actually a recipe for bread pudding. He I, 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 I seriously, I feel like I heard him say, I write from a place on my penis. And then and then there was a bunch of intelligibleness. And then he said, Michael Keaton. And then, and then at some point he said something about jail. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what I got. Or in prison. So yeah. Michael Keaton's in jail? That's fucked up. I think what I enjoyed about this album was the di- the dichotomy of someone who I, I I learned throughout the week was an abusive, coked out, alcoholic, a slobbering mess, and at the same time put together this very ethereal, ambient, uh, at times beautiful and somber and sad. It was just really a fascinating side by side of looking again. This guy's a slobbering mess, can barely stand up. And to think that he wrote these beautiful songs. Some some of the tunes that we will get to on the focus list, I think, are just just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I was actually surprised to learn. This was one of the first times I didn't do much of a deep dive on like the person and his backstory. So I, I hadn't even heard him talk before. Um, so I'm a little... <laughs> I'm surprised, but not surprised to hear that little clip. Um, I will say this was kind of a sleeper album for me and almost like a little bit of an instant classic where 
it's not perfect. Like I, it's a little bit uneven and we'll, we'll get into all that. But I, I really thought that he came across to me as like, I never want to say music is effortless. Some people make it seem like that. Obviously there's years of practice that go into it and I don't want to undersell that. But I think I, I came away feeling like his voice was very natural and there wasn't a lot of like affectation. And um, yeah, I, I in general was, was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with, with a lot of what you said there, um, especially about uh, it's it sort of seeming, you know, sort of like pleasantly, you know, effortless. Um, and there's sort of being something to be said about that. What I what really sort of struck me is like I, I did, you know, I did a, a skim of the stats. So I knew it was from 73 and it made me I was just I, I was surprised how many how many things sort of right from that era that I could sort of hear in the record that he's clearly contemporary with like uh, everything. Obviously, there's like a Nick Drake vibe in there that I think is probably like the most. Yeah, direct yep. thing, but also at times it almost feels like a Joni Mitchell record, like his guitar playing. He's just a man. He's just a man singing these songs. Yeah. Um, yep. Whereas Joni Mitchell is like a high, high female voice. There's another uh, who else? I kept getting like vibes. Oh, there's like a little bit of Joan a Bill Baez. Withers thing at times. Joan Baez. Yeah, yeah. sure. He, he mentioned, so he came up, and we'll get to that, but he, he came up in that British folk scene where you had people like Dylan Baez, before they were famous, mm-hmm. coming over to those French music clubs and music halls. So let's just do a quick by the numbers here, right? Because John Martin is one of those people, another one that, flew under the radar that I had never heard of. And when we look into it, 40-year career, 23 studio albums, 25 live albums, 25 singles, 12 of the 23 studio albums charted in the UK. He's been shot at and stabbed at least twice. So there's a little little fact for you. Was it were uh, they did that all happen in the same incident? <laughs> potentially, potentially. So the number one is the number of pancreases that he had burst from his insane uh, uh, weed, coke, heroin, and alcohol addictions. One, the number of legs amputated as a result of his drinking, and he had some kind of fluid burst in his knee. No shit. So he's. So, so the last, I think, six years of his life, he was basically walking around uh, with, with a, a prosthetic. One, the number of neck injuries he suffered from a collision with a cow in Ireland. I think he was in a car. It didn't specify. I don't know if he just got reported drunk and just... <laughs> you heard neck it Neck right. injuries from a collision with a cow. Hmm. 60, how old he was when he died. And 27 the number of words I was able to understand from the 2004 BBC documentary on him. <laughs> it was Brits talking about Irishmen, talking about Scots. It was all pretty hard to understand. Although it did help me refine my my bad Irish impression. If you just say the word 32,000, all you have to say is 32,000. <laughs> and that right there, it's one word, and you instantly have an Irish canceled. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cultural appropriation of Tarty Two Thousand. That really um, does add some syllables there. That's, right. that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I thought that uh, you, you brought up a good point already, Adam. In that, 
I'm surprised to hear. So I did read that he, you know, was a little bit of an alcoholic. I didn't know to that extent, but his music really sounds does not sound as such. Like I, he's either like holding it together for the recording or that's like fueling him in some way. I'm not sure, but I, I'm a little surprised to, to learn about that. There, there was another, and we'll get, again, we'll get in maybe some of the, the different players that he played with, but he stuck with the same upright bass player for a lot of his career. One of the concert reviewers said that in 73 or 74, they were both just falling over drunk at a show, but still somehow managed to A, play competently, and B, they have this unspoken musical bond between guitar player and bass player where they didn't even have to look at each other. It, they just knew where it was going and they played off each other so well. So yeah, Alan, to your point, he, he's either able to mask it or in his case, it's uh, it's a, a, a stimulant <laughs> for, for his musical, <laughs> musical uh, success. Well, I can confirm that Phil has seen me falling down drunk on stage <laughs> a number on of stage. times. Not literally falling down, but yeah, you know, okay, yeah, sure. verging on that. That's when it gets fun. So the backstory of our man John Martin here. He was born Ian David Migichi in a suburb of London in 1948. His parents were both opera singers, so music was in the house. He spent a lot of his childhood in Glasgow, Scotland, which explains his accent. So he started playing music, guitar specifically, in his early teens and decided to, you know, quote unquote, make a go of it. But he was in Glasgow, and there wasn't a whole lot going on there. He wasn't able to make any money. He wasn't able to get any gigs. So he moved to London and changed his name to John Martin. So he started hanging out with that British folk scene I talked about. There were a couple really tight-knit communities there, some clubs, a place called Les Cousins, where all of the different uh, folk acts of the day, again, Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, they would all get together and hang out. So he started playing there. It was a very communal thing where, where young people were getting up and playing. And our good friend Chris Blackwell from Island Records in 1967 discovers him and signs him to the label. John Martin was actually the first white solo artist on that record label. If you remember, Chris Blackwell from Island Records focused on island music, reggae, Caribbean music, so this yeah, young, been like, I mean, is Bob Marley on Island Records? Or is he on, he's on I, Virgin, th- I want to say. But those early. I, or like the Harry Belafonte, maybe? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Harry Belafonte, right. Mm-hmm. And most The B-52s, so he obviously went that white route. <laughs> Doesn't oh, get much whiter than the B-52s. Yeah, they really took a, took a U-turn there. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1967, he is 19. I think 48, 58. So yeah, he's 19 in 1967 and he records and releases his first solo album called London Conversations. Pretty straight ahead. It's just him with an acoustic guitar. It's really just folk music. It does. It didn't do great, but the Chris Blackwell said they didn't cost anything to produce. So even if they made, you know, a hundred bucks, it was still worth it because it cost $12 to, to produce the whole thing. So he marries Beverly Kuttner, uh, who was an, another recording artist. She was a guitar player, somewhat in that folk scene. They recorded two albums together and toured as a folk rock duet. She was invited to come to the U.S. to record an album. John Martin came along as her guitar player and basically took over the show. He weaseled himself in and wound up basically taking over. It was now the John Martin show. 
Beverly Kuttner quit and took care of the kids that they had. So he get a bit, bit of a dick move for him. Hey, I'll be your guitar player. He comes to the U.S., realizes how badass music and touring and recording is outside of Scotland, and thinks that, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. So he wound up writing a bunch of the songs and, again, just kind of took over. Chris Blackwell from Island Records says, you know what? You're the real deal. I'm focusing on you. Your wife can just go pound sand. That's... <laughs> <laughs> paraphrasing of course i'm sure that was said at some point but not to her yeah that's quite a pivot so as as you can hear you know, in the by album, the way if i'm the dude from island records i'm definitely telling john martin you think like you got the deal but like I, you gotta tell your wife i'm not you gotta do it i'm not come up with some excuse you have to broker this transaction just baking it i'm just baking that into this this agreement here <laughs> So John Martin said that he was getting bored of folk. It was too cut and dry. He preferred the freedom of doing his own thing. And that is when he found the Echoplex, which for those of you who don't know, an Echoplex that we probably talked about in a prior episode, but an Echoplex was an early delay unit that allows you as a singer, a keyboard player, a guitar player to loop small portions of what you're playing so that as you're playing it sounds like there's more instruments on stage. If you do it right, it might sound like there are six guitars on stage playing a rhythm while you solo over it. Isn't that what they used in uh, when we listened to that um, Parliament or Funkadelic with the George yeah, Clinton absolutely. thing? Yes. That crazy opening track, yeah. So we flash forward to 1973, and he releases Solid Air. So a friend and collaborator at the time said that that John was just a mess at this time and still wonders how those lyrics and those performances came out of that guy. Uh, somebody also said that of John that there's a lot of hurt in him, and you can either get reclusive or punch your way out of it, and John does both on this album. <laughs> so the album was released and it was received pretty well. It was definitely a a shift. So the prior album, he was leaning more into jazz, but this is really, and I think this is why our good friend at 1001 uh, Albums You Must Hear Before You Die, that this is probably why he honed in on this album. I think this is not necessarily just because this was quote unquote the commercial breakout, but this is where John Martin really spread his wings and started exploring different sounds and and really broke away from his traditional folk jazz roots. Well, and if you if you do take a look down the down his discography, discography, the next record he'll go even more avant-garde. Right? That's like right he'll go yes. even deeper yeah. in the the improvisation that is clearly on this record. You know, I didn't know until you were talking about it here, you know, that like that isn't really like a sort of a core part of his sounder. That was something he was experimenting with at this point. But I mean, definitely on a couple, specifically the first two tracks on the record. I mean, there's very cool, like borderline bitches brew sort of like jam session going on yeah. towards the back half of some of these songs. Yeah. A lot of this sounded like, yeah, jam session is a good way to put it. In, in fact, I, I think I saw one, like either the, bass player or somebody else that was involved in the production said that a lot of this came from spontaneous jams that they would show up in the studio 
and he was already kind of riffing on something and they would just sort of jump in and, you know, he didn't have any real ego about it and just let everybody kind of come through. One thing that I felt like doing his own thing, it definitely sounds that way. It, it gave me some vibes of when we listened to um, Violent Femmes, where there was something about it that felt a little bit ahead of its time. I thought like it. I agree with that. It, it sounded a little bit modern, almost like a precursor to like ambient lounge or even like trip hop, which I know sounds insane. But yes, like, that was actually referenced in one of the articles I was reading that that people now look back and say that they can see that influence kind of coming from there. Yeah, it just felt like it felt like the kind of record that, you know, if, it, if you're like hanging out with a couple of people and drinking some whiskey and it's like midnight and you just like put on this record and kind of melt into the night a little bit, it, it definitely had that vibe, I thought. Sure. Well, I mean, something we've talked about, I think, in a different context, you know, is the idea that sometimes music is like, you know, it's better background music, right? And I I do think that this sort of stood up to like a, a direct like staring at sort of, right? But to that end, it's fabulous background music, right? Oh, like yeah. you can't understand yeah. anything he's saying. Well, that's actually <laughs> kind of nice if you're not trying to, you know, be distracted by the story of the song, right? <laughs> right. And like... You know, the vibraphone is really hip. Uh, oh, there's yeah, the saxophone yeah. solo. It's not the second song. Uh, Solid Air has a saxophone solo, but so does uh, Dreams by the Sea, which may, might be like, you know, I don't know, it's later on the record, but the horn's really good. The electric piano in general, the record is really good. Yeah, I think this rapper is really hip. And even the second track is Over the Hill, I want to say. This this for me was actually like maybe one of the larger departures on the record. Although Adam, what you're telling me is this is actually probably more what he was coming from. This like yeah, folk right. vibe, right? But for the album, you're right. That's there's two standout tracks that I actually find were my favorite that were him falling back into that same acoustic kind of straight ahead sure. pattern. That I thought were most palatable, and therefore I latched onto them the most. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, this tune for sure. This gave me like a little bit of like Levon Helm, like Rag Mama Rag vibes. Also, if you just told me that this is like the new Ray LaMontagne, like I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> like no, I'm not kidding. If you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, Ray, right. Ray LaMontagne, of course it is. No, there. I think there's so much <laughs> modern in here. In fact, so this might be a, a, a crass comparison, but. One of the first people that came to mind for me as I was listening to this was Dave Matthews, actually. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So not yeah. Dave Matthews band, but but like Dave yes. Matthews in uh -huh. the the kind of mumbling, like really stilting, but very percussive guitar player too. And yes, you know, I I, I don't know. I felt like if it's if like he's he got wasn't, a really he's got a really heavy right hand, and it's kind oh, of yeah, thumping yeah, through very, the totally, hard. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, when totally. I, I I heard some of his live stuff from the mid '70s, and being a child of the '90s, obviously my brain went to that Timmy Reynolds live stuff from Luther College or whatever that mm -hmm. Dave Matthews Band album, where he, it's him and acoustic guitar, and he's rocking that Echo Plex, and I just saw the side by side, like oh. He's just taking John Martin's bit and running with it. At the time, as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, this guy, Timmy Reynolds, is amazing. But now I've got a little bit of... <laughs> a little more, little more context that, like, he didn't exactly context. the wheel. <laughs> right, than a 16-year-old. Than a 
So one last review before we jump into the songs that, that really stuck out to me and I thought was a great description of this. Audacious, hypnotic, and groundbreaking only begins to describe Martin's still unique combination of folk, jazz, blues, and space rock wrapped around riveting, unforgettable melodies. I just like the use of space rock. And uh, if I'm going to find out if that is a valid genre and how I can get into it. Uh, you know, I, I think that's fair. <laughs> I, there are, Alan, you, you've sort of piqued my interest and also feel like you've let me off the hook for some definitely like there were elements of this that I felt like sounded like Radiohead in that there were weird. There's blending of like acoustic guitar and like fuzz through delay and then just this, like, this voice that's, like, haunting, you know? And yeah, I was like, eh, this right. sounds like Radiohead. When did this come out? Like, you know? It's like, 93? No. no. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's what... I don't know if he how much, like, artistic freedom he had at this point, but he definitely seems to step out of whatever he'd been doing before. It, it honestly just feels like he doesn't give a fuck in a good way, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that yeah, whole, like, right. I don't care if this is good or not. Not trying to make hits here, although you know some of the songs are are a little bit more commercial friendly, but yeah. So just just for some context too, one month after this album was released, Pink Floyd releases "Dark Side of the Moon." Mm. <laughs> just kind of just oh, wow. some interesting context as to what is going on. In you, know, you know, that's actually really interesting too, honestly, because yeah, because I do think there are a lot of Pink Floyd. Well, I wouldn't say a lot. I would say the last track on this album r- feels like it could have been on the wall. And, yeah, and right, that's right. like way ahead of its time, right? And to, and to a lesser degree, even like foreshadows you too. With again, like, well, we can talk about the Echoplex, but it's going to be about this like, this dotted eight. It's like three over two where you're playing to the tape machine. And we, we'll yeah, talk about how we right. get there, right? Right, like, right. All right, cool. So yeah, let's let's jump into our focus list. So uh, we played Solid Air at the top. Let's give that another quick spin, and we can dig into it a little bit more because I think it's 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 definitely worthy of a deeper dive. So so here's another clip of Solid Air. The opening two seconds of that song is that double bass uh, doing this, just this nosedive from a C to an F. And you're like, what is going (laughs) on? It starts on a C and then it just dives down. And that right off the bat, like, oh, shit. No, I agree. This is something else. It gets into the the mood immediately. Right, right. right. That vibraphone kicks in immediately, Mm -hmm. too. And you're like, oh, yeah, the bass like throughout. I think it was really stellar. I think he chose really great musicians to play with, uh, or I don't know if they were chosen for him as session guys or whatever, but like the instrumentation was awesome. I do think it was an interesting choice to open with this song because I don't think the entire album is as sleepy as this song. Um, sure. And sure. what's funny is as I was listening to it, I was like, this sounds a lot like, you know, Nick Drake or somebody like that. And, you know, apparently that was the, you know, maybe you know more about this, Adam, but apparently that was an influence for this song. 
Yeah, so this song is about Nick Drake, who would unfortunately die 18 months after its release. Of uh, He died of an antidepressant overdose. And he and Nick Drake were friends. And obviously, if you listen to the lyrics, uh, he is. it's almost asking Nick Drake to make a cry for help. He says, I know you're... Uh, I, I know you're living in this situation. I, I know where you are with, with, and you can't get out and you feel like you're trapped and you're living in solid air. But look, you're my brother. I love you. You can get through this. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. Yeah, I hear that. It's, it's a cool sounding song. I will say, you know, and I think this is a common criticism that we levy often on this show. And this is, I guess, sort of hypocritical coming from like a fish fan <laughs> i do not i i don't think the song needed to be five to six minutes long i oh, think for a song like this that. that maybe has two or three chords i don't remember any discernible like changes and I, i'm generally okay with that i think it just went on a little long and i think it actually is it gave me the wrong impression of what the rest of the album would be like even though it did revisit the, the sleepiness at some point there was a lot of playing around the beat and I'm not exactly sure how to describe that, but it just felt like there was a lot of like swerving in and out of the yeah, beat like, that it resolved nicely, but there was a lot of like weird movement in a good way. We talk so much about pocket and this is almost the opposite of pocket, but it works so well. Oh, so the, yeah. the, the vibraphone is done by a guy named Tristan Fry and the upright bass is a guy named Danny Thompson, who I mentioned that that John Martin's going to play with a lot in his career. Alan, I think you make a really a really apt criticism or, or or sort of observation about like how it is a really odd choice to kick off the record, but you know it is a great tune, and uh, I, I have also I think this is one you know. This is one for me where I can't understand a goddamn word he says. And uh, it's interesting to hear that it has heavy lyrics. I think he um, says solid air. 30. Thir- <laughs> but 30 times. Other- otherwise, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't, like, impact me at all. Like, just the sound of his voice in there is enough to, like, fill up the space in an interesting way. Well, I also made the mistake... Engaged. And let, let me ask you guys this: um, Where I asked this last time, where did you guys listen to this? You know, because I I listen to these in different settings, where sometimes I'll put them on in the car, or I put it on while I'm making dinner, and and I think that affects things. Where I listened to this the first time while I was driving, and I think that when that first came on, it it, it sent the wrong message to me of of what this was going to be. Like, what's what was your context for this? This was the Google speaker turned up loud while I was making dinner. This opening track excited me. To your point, though, not necessarily representative of the of the entire album, but yeah, nice. Yeah, I was I was a similar context, sort of around the kitchen, around the dinner table. Nice. There is one. I'm gonna try to find it. I'll drop it in here. But the bass player does some harmonic taps on an upright, which. To me, just it, you got to be a badass to be able to do harmonics on an upright. So for those of you not familiar, most rock and roll bass guitars are fretted, which means you put your finger between the frets and you get the note. You get the same note every time. A fretless instrument like an upright bass has no frets, which means you have all of the space that you would normally 
not have when you hit a fret to get the note wrong or to get it sour. So a harmonic is where you don't actually press the string against the neck of the instrument. You actually just rest your hand on it gently and pluck it, which requires even more finesse and more, more uh, precision. Uh, so yeah, more, thank you, more, more precision. He does that, I'll drop that in, it's badass. It's it's funny. I also thought that intro kind of bass line, it reminded me, and I don't know if I'm off base on this. Adam, have you ever seen The Wire? I know, Philly, you have. Oh, I have not. But they have this intro song that there's five seasons of the show, and every season they change up. It's the same song, but it's covered by different people. Like, I think the first one is, like, the Blind Boys of Alabama, maybe. And, I, and then there's, like, a Tom Waits who maybe wrote the original version. But anyway, that the first season... It sound there's like this double bass thing happening in the beginning where there's some crazy like sliding and stuff. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. I felt like, hey, that like I would love to hear this guy doing a version of one of those wire. <laughs> theme songs because awesome. I, I don't know i just felt like he could come up with a good interpretation you could just get me the wire theme song i appreciate yeah. that i think he's still alive so we'll have to... quick somebody google danny thompson acoustic bass all right so that was that was the opening track solid air next up on our focus list we're going to listen to a tune called over the hill So I'm either buying a Subaru or <laughs> oh yeah, Subaru, it's a Zoloft, right yeah, right or a Zoloft team, yeah. commercial. But I feel like that kind of you know shits. Nah, on it. Subaru, but, dude, for sure, right? Subaru commercial, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it I'll should totally. be on there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They're they're selling the new Crosstrek Sport <laughs> hybrid. You know, the family's going camping like, with the dog in the right. back. Yeah, sure. Like at the beginning, it's like the couple with a dog. And then at the end, like, it's the guy has, like, a baby, like, on oh, harness, yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Uh-huh. But really, yeah. the dad's off to the side drinking, like, ten beers in order to cope with his existence. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah exactly. As I listened to this, I actually thought that this would have been a great opening track. But that's my more pop, more, uh, hey, let's grab let's grab attention, you know, how would I do a modern album? I would have used this first, but I'm not John Martin, and he did his thing. But I dug this tune. I loved I loved the sound, the tone of the acoustic guitar. There's mandolin in there. Oh, yeah, this just did yeah. all the right 
acoustic folk stuff that I love. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the one that sort of reminded me a little bit of the band, like Rag Mama Rag specifically. Um, yeah, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah, totally. This this was when I started to wonder, like, well, what's going to be next, you know? <laughs> like, right. Well, if he did that weird jazz thing and now this, what the hell's going totally. on? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this snapped me out of where I was after the first song, Solid Air. And I'm a total sucker for these songs. Like, I think there's a reason why mm-hmm. they pick songs like this to be in commercials and things like that, because they're just good and catchy. Like, this song's been living rent free in my head for, you know, the last last week. Um, Yeah, definitely uh, just a great song. Yeah. I I hate to say that this is my favorite tune on the album, but it might be again. I don't know if it's right. (laughs) How dare you like a song that sounds good and is, has modern pop sensibilities. You bastard pleasant to the ear. Right. So the song is, is about his own life. He secretly, not secretly, but he loved being by himself on the road. But he did, I think, long for his wife and his kids. Uh, and he also loves weed and cocaine, as he he mentions a couple times in the song. Which like, one specifically killed him? Because like you've run down some some substances. I think it was ultimately. I, need, I, need I think it was know. ultimately the alcohol because <laughs> he drank hard. And again, his pancreas <laughs> burst in I, I don't know that it might have been 10 years before he died and the doctors were like hey guess what you should probably get off the drink as they say well it's probably like an Scotland old car Ireland. that it, if you have like an old buick that you like don't change the oil for 10 years the car is gonna die it might not be because of, you haven't changed the oil but it could be because right. you know <laughs> who knows you're not taking care of other parts of it and it's from the sounds of it that he just basically broke his body down You've been pouring scotch into the gas tank for the last 20 years, and it kind of works. Oh, scotch is more uh, expensive yeah. than, than gas. You're right. <laughs> he said something about his, his favorite meal was uh, whiskey, beer, and pickled eggs. So that gives you... I'm sure I'm sure he had some gout issues as well. Well, he would have gotten along Dang, with dude. David Bowie during the uh, Station to Station <laughs> recording. Yo, serious question. Like, serious question. What, like, you walk... You walk into a single stall men's bathroom and John Martin is walking out and he's just dropped a bomb in there. Like, what is that going to smell like? This guy's living on whiskey, beer, and pickled eggs. Well, you know he's not washing his hands either. He was also... (laughs) He was north of 300 pounds um, when he died. He was really overweight it's a it's a sad it's a sad ish story i mean it's not necessarily a foreign story for uh, rock and roll or just music uh, musicians in general but it it was a bit of a bummer you know I, I, he probably sure. and he'd been writing albums up until i think 2007 and he died in 2009 so he probably had a few more few more in him I never stopped to wonder what his shit smelled like, though. That's that's, that's a new one. <laughs> but, but but thank you, Phil. I won't be able to sleep now. I, I really appreciate oh, it. Dude, I, I mean, I could build on that, seriously. <laughs> right. Because like that was like a little tidbit of a Sa- Save that for the spinoff. Problem I've been working out. Right. Save that for the, the spinoff podcast. <laughs> yeah. 1,001. Things, things you didn't think about. Bathroom poop. complaints. I don't know. <laughs> 1,001 things you didn't think you knew about poop. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could get like three or four episodes on we, that. We, we um, could put me down for in. five. 
All right, right you're in for a five. A five episode run. All right, this is good. This is getting good. All right, so we're going to move on to our next focus song called Go Down Easy, which takes us back to a similar vibe that we heard in that first track. You curl around me like a fern in the spring. Lie down here, let me sing the things that you bring, and we can go down easy. Oh, my love, we can go down See me with your big brown eyes coming around to my place. You know I'll sympathize. All right, thoughts, gentlemen. This it's cool, man. It's it is very hip. Uh this this again, I definitely think this goes back to the sort of Nick Drake vibe. There's also you start to get like a Crosby Stills and Nash thing. But not, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, you don't get the totally. wall of sound. It's just like, it's like just stills before everybody comes in or something. Yeah, it's right. Like those right. moments, you know, uh, yeah, it's very hip. I would guess this song has a weird alternate tuning too. That low note just sound on the guitar sounds impossibly low. Oh, that's a good point. I, I should so have I, researched I did that. wonder on a couple of these songs if they had like weirdo tunings. Right. Um, you know, the, the first song that can absolutely often be part has. of why they sound effortless too. Yeah, the first song I think. I, they all seem like they have some kind of alternate tuning. He seems like the kind of guy that was playing around with that. But the, the sure. first song on the album, I, I don't know this for sure, but it certainly sounds like it's a drop C or drop D, possibly even C. Um, yeah, th- I thought this song was kind of, I, I wouldn't say like a low point, uh, certainly a low point of our focus list. It, 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 w- it was fine. It was a little sleepy, I thought. There was probably like, three minutes into it, there was a weird guitar breakdown that sounded like maybe the end of the song. And then it kind of picked up some steam again that I was, it kind of caught me by surprise that I thought was a little bit weird, but um, yeah, it was, it was yeah, right. it, it essentially stops at, at the two fifty mark and then just continues through him aggressively strumming for like 40 seconds. It's a bit obnoxious. <laughs> I actually chose this song cause it, it highlighted something I like about his vocal performance. I, you know me, I always complain about vibrato and David Bowie took it to the extreme where the vibrato is so much that you're actually not able to sometimes land on a note. Like it's so far, you're 50 cents up, 50 cents down, halfway in between two notes. You don't really have it. This song, he has no vibrato. He hits the note straight and holds it. And he does it on some pretty low notes, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And it, it creates a cool interplay between the guitar and the bass that are both somewhat busy. And you've got his vocal mm-hmm. holds a note 
And that is kind of the anchor for, for those, you know, three or four second bits where there's no vibrato. It's just straight. It's really cool sound that, that you know, I, I don't you, hear a it's lot. So, it's actually something I've, I've, you've pointed out on some other, other podcasts, the idea of vibrato and over singing and people just holding a note, right? It's, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Oh, totally. Just, just hold the note. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and I, you know, I, again, I don't think I would have caught it unless you pointed it out in this way, but yeah, there's some moments where it's like, it's almost like it's, it's like it fades into like a synthesizer sound, right? Cause it like vocal affect goes away and now it's just, it's just a note buzzing out right. of like a horn almost. And I don't, I don't know if he recorded the vocals while playing sure. as well, but it feels very playful where he's conscious of what of holding those notes to, to me it sounds like he's quickly get through the the lyrics or the melody so he can get to that and he just holds it and it's it's it just it feels kind of cool it's deliberate and i i enjoyed that interplay between him trying to to hold those notes so that that, that was something that that i enjoyed about the song but alan i agree it's a bit of a sleeper it doesn't really go anywhere um, threw it on here just because I, I think he's a decent singer as well. Yeah, no, I, he's a great, I mean, he has a really, I don't want to say a unique voice. Cause I don't, I don't know that it's like different necessarily, but it's just really pretty. And, you know, again, I'll use the word effortless, but I, I, I throw the caveat that I know nothing is truly ever effortless when it comes to making stuff like this. Yeah. Great voice for sure. All right, let's move things along. We are going to jump into our next tune on the list here. This one is called May You Never. May you never lay your head down without a hand to hold. May I never make your bed out in the cold. Just like a All right, everyone listening, stop what you're doing right now. Go find this song, star it, asterisk it, save it, whatever. Put it on your Acoustic Jams 2022 list. This tune is freaking great. <laughs> it's beautiful. This, the thing, the other thing, the thing you failed to, to let them know, though, is that they should not go search for Eric Crapton. <laughs> oh, God, yes. List. It's on slow yeah, hand. You it's just gotta, yeah, exactly. Terrible. It's on, so you're going to want to act. Actively avoid that. Wait, word. did you call him Eric Crapton? Because I like that. <laughs> I did, yeah. I did. At first, I thought that the was like a mistake, and I was like, no, no, actually, that probably is intentional. That is, that is very accurate. Yes, the slow hand version is just terrible. So I listened to this album for a, a week, right? It probably got through it 30 times because I think it's only 32 minutes. So I burnt through it a lot. And as I was researching, I saw that Clapton did it. And I, I've listened to Slow Hand a bunch because that's kind of like Clapton's like 
breakout album. It's I got think. a lot of hits. It's, it's got, got a lot, lot of hits. Like, like it's Bell Bottom yeah. Blues on there. Or that might know, have been. It's got, it's yeah. got hits. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. It's got the first side of Slow Hand. Side A in order is Cocaine, Lay Down Sally, oh, come Wonderful on. Tonight, what the Next f- Time You See Her, Jesus. We're All the Way. Right. We're All the Way, I don't know off the top of my head, but like any of those other songs, those are, you know. Maybe you I never, never fli- Maybe I never flipped the album over, but yeah, yeah his version yeah, it is, is just. It is on the other side. Yeah, and I actually. Don't know any of the tunes on the other side. Peaches and Diesel. It's probably something racist. <laughs> Early anti-vax. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, this song is, this is a fucking killer song. And I think this song showcases his, like, percuss. This is what gave me the most, like, Dave Matthews vibes. Solely in terms of the, his, like, attack on the guitar. Such that when the song ended... I, I didn't it, it didn't even occur to me that there was really no other instrumentation. This was just him and a guitar, but it sounded huge. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that you say about Dave Matthews in this one because I got a and I hear what you're saying, especially about the guitar delivery. Like that that the right hand specifically on the guitar. This was the one that for some reason there was something about his vocal delivery that made me feel like this could have been a Joni Mitchell song. This just sung two octaves higher, right? Like like there's just something I could have just Dude, heard. you're totally right. I can't I can't put my there's finger just on it. But something about it where I was like it's going to be a Joni Mitchell song. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's clear that he, you know, he's obviously got a sense of melody and a sense of, you know, harmonic placement, but he he's definitely is a rhythm first player, yeah, I think. Sure. Oh, sure. It made me think of if you guys have seen, you know, Trey from Fish has started doing these you know, sort of home recordings of music lessons. And he starts his first, very first lesson. It's like an 18 minute lesson on, on <laughs> dividing rhythm. And, Oh, that's cool. He doesn't All even right. hold the guitar. I you're going to say he's just like holding a note for 18 <laughs> minutes, making that weird face. No, that's the tweezer <laughs> from 1995 <laughs> at Merriweather. <laughs> but he, he makes a point of saying that he started playing drums as a kid. That's how he got into music and that he recommends that, you know, most people approach it that way. And that's, I kind of yeah, get a sense that I don't know if this is how Martin, this was his like gateway to music, but he strikes me as a very like rhythmic, like rhythm first. And then everything else kind of builds off that. Yeah. It's funny you said about the drums. So uh, we all have played w- with, with a drummer um, high school, college and, and beyond who insists that, you know, forget about piano Forget about horns, forget about viola, whatever they're going to put in front of your kid in grade school, get them in front of the drums. Because if they're really serious, that is the first lesson. And I, I have a tendency to agree with them. I, I actually agree with that, too. Um, and it's for slightly different reasons, but like not very different. I sort of think that we're in like the way music is taught academically uh, less than just you pick up the instrument and you figure out how it works. That's that's a different thing, right? right but if you're right. learning music academically, you're learning these two very disparate skills simultaneously. You're learning the sort of mathematics and sort of like, you know, uh, sort of like fractional subdivisions of, of rhythm. And then there's this different way to think about those subdivisions of notes, and they're not really related. And they're showing to them to you simultaneously in this notation that, like, well, if there's no rhythm, the notes are still the same. And if there's no notes, the rhythm is still the same. And it's like, what? Right. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? 
All of a sudden, then you look at it, you're like, oh, that's double forte. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> why are we talking? What? Why? Why? None of this. There's, There's got to be a better way, right? So. Look, I just know that when it goes boom cha boom cha, I dance. That's the only thing I know. The moral of the story is we all agree your first instrument should be drums. Yes. Or if you're all of us, guitar playing Come As You Are by Nirvana. <laughs> oh, what was the first? I the, think the, the first, musical I actually, journey. I think I know the first song I could play on guitar was Low by Cracker. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. That's, that's solid. I'm pretty sure mine was Come As You Are. But also, what I, <laughs> what I like about you, those chords, I don't know. There's something about it. Oh. That was. That's. Oh, th- yeah, there's some good chord voicings on that. Come as you are was very early. I was like top five for sure. Right. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to keep this train rolling along here with the last tune on our focus list. This one is called I'd Rather Be the Devil. I'd rather be that devil than I want to be Phil, you mentioned Bitches Brew earlier. This was, this was definitely the free form. We're just going to hit record oh, yeah. and then we'll see where we are in however many right. minutes. Because this definitely oh, had yeah, a jam sure. session vibe to it. This also really gave me uh, this. Maybe it wasn't this one, but I think it is right at the beginning. Like it gives me like a run like hell vibe. Like this is the one that I feel like could be on the wall. I mean, not right, not, the, not right. the vocals so much, but a lot of the other like the. I was just someone that's like slightly differently. Like this could be on the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This tune really, and I threw this on here because this really showcases the his echoplex work. So this is actually a cover of of uh, an old Skip James song. This is a or cover. Kinda, it's a take on it. <laughs> well, it's a take on it. There was a, a an American Delta blues singer named Skip James, and he had a tune called "Devil Got My Woman." And this is very similar to that. So it's kind of his, I think, tribute to that that era as a Scotsman doing American Delta blues, jazz, space punk, rock, fusion. <laughs> Mix them all together in a blender. It's fun. Devil Got My Woman might be the most blues song name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> song title of all time. <laughs> yeah, this, this song reminded me the most of like, I think we've all been in those jam sessions where it's like 
let's just play for 20 minutes uninterrupted. Let's just see where it goes. Will a few riffs will emerge that we'll latch on to. This seemed very right. unstructured other than, you know, maybe the first minute or so that makes mm-hmm. me realize like that it was a jam session because the ending, it just, it's just like a random fade out. There's no like real climax. So it just, it just felt very loose. It, and it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it was cool. It was a cool song, but I, it, it definitely felt like a straight kind of improv jam. Yeah. You're right. The end fades out with just the, the bass player just going to town <laughs> and just noodling. It's kind of, they're like, Oh, it's ba- a- time to wrap it up. The bass player is going nuts. Right. <laughs> so like, if you check out track four on the record, right, which is like the studio version, is that "Don't Want You to Know"? No, or it's the uh, same track. I'd rather, I'd rather be oh. the devil, right? It's just not. Oh live. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. I got yeah, you. Yeah, you, you, you can see. I, I don't know, man. It's interesting because you can see that, like, they are definitely out on a limb with this song in general, right? Like, that's the design of the song. The end is sort of like, it's the bass player's space. But they take it somewhere very different uh, on the end of track four than what they do on the end of track ten. All right, gentlemen. So that that wraps it up. We just finished off our focus list there. So now we get to the most exciting, the most riveting, the most anticipated part of the show where we go around the room and give you our jackass opinions on whether or not this album deserves to be on the list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Let's throw it over to Alan first. This album was new to me. You know, I'd heard John Martin. I'd heard his name thrown around a little bit. I think I had even heard one of the songs before, just in passing somewhere. So it was a surprise to me. I think it does belong on the list. It's I can't think of anything else that's like this. You know, we've, we've dropped all kinds of different references and the fact that it takes us, you know, like eight to 10 different artists to kind of capture what he was doing to me is, is like a singular uniqueness. It, you know, Phil and I have had this conversation before about our band mega where, you know, I think people need things to have a similar genre throughout an album. I happen to disagree with that. I think when you're switching it up, it shows like some versatility and yeah, to me, like this is definitely going to become in my rotation. It was a very pleasant surprise. Um, I definitely think it belongs on the list. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I wouldn't even tend to agree. I would, I would, you know, I would fully agree. It's going to be a yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this record and I think, you know, I, it, it sort of made me think back to that Devendra Bonhart record that I gave a thumbs down. Oh, in that, yeah, yeah. Um, in that, like, I think this is a great example of music that can sort of successfully be background music, but then also can sort of stand the test of just being listened to. Um, whereas, you know, I felt like that was more of just like vibe music and was just like a little awkward, um, in my opinion, right? When, when it wasn't, well, when you listen to it directly. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought this was great. Um, 
Yeah, and I'll I'll definitely look listen to it again, and probably will check out some of his other stuff. Cool. Well, that's two out of three right there, so it really doesn't matter what I think. However, Boosh. Uh, it it <laughs> <laughs> it's a yes from me. I think that having peeked into his back catalog a little bit, this is definitely an extension. It, he's taking a chance, and to this is ambient, but it's more than ambient, which I appreciate. It sets a vibe, Phil, to your point. It can be background music, but you can also really sit down with a pair of headphones and get into it. Totally. This album surprised me. I loved the places that it went. It went jazzy. It went spacey. It went straight ahead, slamming acoustic songs that, like I said, those are going to be on my Acoustic Jams playlist right now. So, John Martin, congratulations. It's a yes, uh, we're sorry you died so early. He died at 60, which again, for maybe for musicians, that's actually, he reached old age, but he, uh, he gave a couple of guys here something to be excited about. So John, congratulations. It's a yes. I'll drink 10 beers tonight in your, I, in his honor. And if, if and I must, some pickled eggs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we don't have Tom, but, uh, I will take on the duties of spinning up the Albinator uh, in in John Martin's memory here, uh, the Scottish version of the Albinator. Maybe it's the the Albinator thirty two thousand. <laughs> so let's give the Albinator a spin. Next week we will be listening to. All right, Black Sabbath Volume Four. Ooh. Without oh, a question yeah, mark, yeah, Black yeah. Sabbath Volume 4. I said it with a question mark, but I've never heard of that, which probably oh, you do, means so you don't I'm know the a first monster. I, is it called Black Sabbath Volume 4? Oh, no, man. It's called <laughs> Changes. And it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's dope. All right, all right. You'll, never, nice. see it, you'll never see it coming. Okay. <laughs> what year? Yeah, I, it, I, would, I would guess that's like 77. Because I feel like the okay. first Sabbath record's like 71, 72. Was the first Sabbath album Paranoid? Like, I think the first one's just called, no, the first one's just called Black Sabbath. Okay. And it has a gong. Like the first sound of the record <laughs> okay. is just like a gong. The and introduction picture, to the band. Right. Yeah, and there's this picture. Uh, it's, it's, it, yeah, it might be like a church bell. It was like this creepy bell. Uh, and then there's this picture on the cover. And to this day, I do not know if it is... Ozzy or a witch because it's like somebody and they're like they're just like a little too far away in the picture like does it look like the ring focus. the girl yeah, from the ring a little bit very much okay. like her. yeah totally because my, my dad had two Sabbath albums one of them had Fairies Wear Boots which I think was the Paranoid album and I remember sure. burning through that a hundred times but I'm not not familiar with with the Sabbath catalog so this is very exciting awesome I, I must be all, it says this came out in 72, so I guess we'll learn some stuff. Sabbath must have burned through those records like real fast, you know? Right. So we'll find out, you know? Yeah. I guess, you know, maybe they're another one of those bands that, you know, released like six albums in four years. Right. This, you know, this will not be the one that I'm listening to at dinner or driving my son to gymnastics right. class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, yeah, wait till we get to doggy style. <laughs> 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 I, we already did Funkadelic. I don't know that we need to. All right, dear listener. Did we get it right? 
Did we get it wrong? We've got an email address, 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That's 1001 the number. Please send us an email. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear some feedback. Speaking of feedback, please go in and write us a review on your preferred podcast source. Also, I've heard that if if we get to 100 reviews, that Phil has agreed to read all of them in a separate podcast episode. Ooh. So if, that, if that's not incentive yeah, enough sure. to uh, to write yeah, us a review, yeah, sure. lo- the longer the better. As long as he does it shirtless on the Zoom call, I will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here today. We want to thank you guys for hanging out and listening. Don't forget, next week's album is Black Sabbath volume four so for 1001 album complaints i'm adam i'm alan and i'm phil aboosh <laughs> <laughs>